You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the writer. I'm Damon Martin. He is UFC legend Matt Brown. Matt, uh, we are back after a windy weekend here in Ohio. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> you posted the photo on uh, on Instagram, so the uh, the immortal ride uh, got the worst of it. It looks like that is it. Yeah, windy and very cold weekend. I don't know if you just see my last post where. We've been staying, me and the kids have been staying on the cold plunge every morning, our Redwood outdoors, uh, sauna and cold plunge, but in the mornings hitting the cold plunge and it is cold. We actually get in the water and the water is actually warmer than the outside air. So <laughs> it's a, and it's, the water is like, you know, in the thirties and you actually feel like you're warming up a little bit when you get in there, which is a very strange feeling when you're warming up at 30 degrees. <laughs> The high, the high yesterday here in, in Columbus was like nine degrees, so it was freaking cold. Yeah, it was so cold, and uh, we actually just did it just a little bit ago. I don't know if you've seen the post where. Yeah. So I seen Steve Austin. <laughs> it was did his first cold plunge, and he was crying, and he got in for like two minutes or, or like like two seconds, you know, just got in and out, and uh, so I posted a video with my kids, my eight year old daughter for one getting in and just chilling <laughs> stone cold has something to learn from kids exactly yes i don't know it was just fun i love stone cold steve austin there's no hate on him or anything but i just thought it was funny but yes it, it's just cold as fuck man this is unreal but um you know How does nice the, like, with that door sauna man that's <laughs> that's the money when it's cold bro yeah, I know Dana White's obsessed with cold plunges. He posts about it like three times a week. He loves the cold plunge. Dude, it's amazing. I'm telling you, like, it's uh, it's fascinating, bro. I thought it was just some trendy bullshit. And, and the fact that Dana's doing it, probably listening to that Gary Brecka fucking dork, you know, <laughs> is the, the worst fucking grifter ever. <laughs> but, you know. So that doesn't help the case, my case at all. But it's just so fucking amazing, man. It's it really is. And and like I said, I thought it was just some trendy bullshit. 
But I'll tell you what, it, it is legit, man. Like you feel great throughout the day. It wakes you up, obviously, <laughs> when it's like 30 degrees in the water. Like, yeah, it's going to wake you up. But, uh, man, you feel great after and just the sense of accomplishment. It's amazing. I don't know anything about that dude that Dana works with, and I'm not trying to turn this into a Dana conversation, but as soon as I saw that guy, my first thought was he looked like the guy who does the infomercial at like two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday Damn night, trying to, trying to sell you, like trying to sell you a, a, a new revolutionary treadmill or something. Like, why do so many of these genius fitness guys, like there are good, like there are legitimately good like trainers, but I don't know. Like every time I see one of these guys that has like the revolutionary like mindset, what like I always I every single time I see them, it reminds me of like an infomercial or like a cult leader. Like you know what I mean? When you see cult leaders on TV talking, they're like, "This is the way. This is how yeah. you need." To. Every time I see that, that's the instinct I say. That's the instinct I have. God, I wish I could have a conversation with Dana about it. Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I will sometime, but it, it'd be awkward just to be like, Hey Dana, dude, you're working with socks, you know, but maybe it'll come up sometime and just tell him like, bro, like you got to get your shit together, man. This guy's a fucking grifter, man. He's the worst of the worst, just lying and scamming. Or maybe he's not lying. Maybe he's telling what he believes to be the truth, but it's such bullshit. Like it doesn't even take a lot of, um, you know, you can Google the fucking research that he's talking about. And it's fucking bullshit. I mean, it, it isn't complex stuff, man. I'll tell anybody listening, go, go follow bio lane or at bio lane, L a Y N E, uh, lane Norton, go follow Syat fitness, S Y A T T fitness, you know, um, Alan Aragon, A R A G O N. You know, these are like legit guys. You, you start the guys that get all the 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 clout like the Gary Breckas the reason they're getting the clout isn't because of their fucking brilliant knowledge like it's because of their fucking bullshit <laughs> yeah everyone wants like everyone wants to have the the answer right like everyone wants to have the mm -hmm. answer and make you think what you're doing and, and when you do it their way it's revolutionary yeah. and it's like I follow this dude on TikTok who is like a nutritionist and he always reposts videos from other like the the pseudo nutritionists who are like you can't eat this particular food because there's this one ingredient that's a, and they go on this huge like diatribe and he's like you know he's a legit nutritionist and he's like it really comes down to like the the like details of what you're trying to do like you're trying to put protein into your body you're trying to do this and he's like and it's caloric intake He's like, don't make it harder than it is. He's like, if you're trying to lose weight, go on a caloric deficit. That's it. Like, there's no science. There's no genius science to it. Just go on a caloric deficit. And he just mocks those guys who are like, don't ever, ever drink a, a zero sugar soda. That's the worst thing you can do for your body. Blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff. And he's like, dude, these guys are just, they're just spouting bullshit trying to get you to believe like that they know the way, but everyone wants to feel like they know, like they know something yeah. you don't, that's what everyone wants. They, they know what you don't know. And yeah, it's they, like, and, you know, and, and they're, they're preying on these people that are you know uneducated that are looking for that magic potion that are looking for that one thing. That's like, like, Oh, if I just quit drinking diet sodas, I'm going to lose weight. And you know, they're looking for that secretly because it is hard like it's not easy to be in a caloric deficit it's not easy to go exercise every day um, i mean i don't find it that hard but 
I think for the average person, like it's not, you know, it, it's not convenient and easy. And, but the, the difference is, or the problem is that it is simple. Yeah. It's not easy, but it is simple. Right. It, and it that's, reminds that's me, it, get it very confused. It reminds me years ago. And I know you'll remember this. Uh, there was that one drug that was like a weight loss drug that you would take and it would, you would take it during the day and it was basically like speed, like it would just speed up your meta because it would speed your heart. Ephedrine, yeah, and they eventually banned it because people were like, you know, overdosing and dying on it because it was like make your heart race. But like, yeah, dude, I for loved like t- Ephedra back in the day. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Though? I took Ephedra back in the day, but like for like three years straight, everyone was taking it, and it worked because it was basically making your heart race like. <laughs> Like you're, you know, like you're on cocaine and then eventually, you know, the real studies happened and the real science came and they're like, uh, you might not want to take this. Your heart will explode or whatever it was, but like yeah. everyone wants that quick fix. Like that thing they're doing now with the, uh, uh, diabetes drug that Ozempic or whatever people are Ozempic, taking yeah. it because like, yes, you will lose weight, but it, the side effects, if you're not actually diabetic is not a good idea. <laughs> No, you lose a bunch of muscle and, and you won't get it back and all kinds of bad things. And yeah, yeah that's what I'm everybody's looking for this easy way. And the thing is, it is simple, but it's not easy. That's what the fact of the matter is. It is not easy. It will be hard. Uh, but the but the the fact of the matter is the work has to be done for it to work. Like that is all there is to it. There is no fucking magic potion. Gary Breck is a fucking idiot and he's a fucking grifter and he's lying to you and he's trying to sell you some bullshit. And, and then that, you know, he starts getting into like the longevity stuff and, you know, that's where it really bothers me because, you know, people are starting to think they're going to, they're going to live longer because of whatever bullshit he's selling or they're, you know, and like there is legitimate science out there to learn how to do those things like you don't have to listen to this guy who's lying to you to sell you something so you know i hope that he goes on joe rogan and debates one of these uh legit nutritionists like aragon or or maybe elaine norton or something you know they call him out all the time to debate and of course it never happens but um you know so it's like you said it's just it's it's simple not easy i mean you can't put it any other way yeah, it's funny because if you ever watch like cult like documentaries about cults, I get fascinated by that shit. Like when that whole do you remember that whole thing that happened like the last couple of years, that Nixium cult, the sex cult that was big and like it was they no, did like three they, it's wild. They did like three documentaries on it. It was fascinating. This dude who was he was basically like a self improvement guru who didn't know anything. Like he just spoke in circles and sounded like he knew what he was talking about, but like watching it, I'm watching this and I'm like, who would ever listen? to this bullshit like who this guy like i saw through him in eight seconds like i of course i knew it was a cult documentary but like just listening to him i'm like man like this guy you could just tell he's just spouting some bullshit like he doesn't know what he's talking he just he sounds like he's he's saying all these words and he's saying it in a way that sounds like he's intelligent and you know he knows what he's talking about but then you see all these people would fall for it like thousands of people signed up for it people were like you know, they turned into basically a sex slaves. Like that's like he convinced them to like having sex with him was the way. And like <laughs> I'm I'm sitting there watching this documentary and I'm just like, Good lord, like how dumb do you have to be? But that's well, dude, what I people, that's people believed that the liver king was not on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. Like that's what I'm saying. Like intelligent 
people who I I could like I don't think Dane is a dumb person. Like I really don't. I've I spent enough oh, time. No, he's no, not no. a dumb person. He's a very smart guy. But everyone's susceptible to it on some level, right? Like that's and that that's what that dude or these other guys I see that they have the answer. They know the answer. That's 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 like a cult leader. That's what it reminds me of. Have you ever heard of uh, neuro linguistic programming, like NLP? Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, like the sort of hypnotist type stuff. So yeah. one of my mental coaches uses some of that stuff to actually like help, you know, program your mind to think differently, you know, more powerfully, more stronger and stuff. Obviously, like he uses it in a positive way because you're trying to win a fight. Like you have to have your mind programmed a certain way. Um, but he had actually studied Joel Osteen a lot. Oh, and, he, and he found in Joel Osteen's work, like he has a ton of NLP, like a ton of this like hypnotizing stuff. And when you listen to him, you know, without really listening, you know, when you're kind of listening from afar, like we do, where we're not, you know, looking for something to get involved in or not trying to become a part of a tribe or something, it's kind of easy to point out. But when you're like a lost soul and you're searching for that something and then you hear those buzzwords and that programming, uh, hypnotizing words, it's going to suck you right in and get you deep into something that's, you know, I mean, Osteen happens to be one of the best in the world at it, in my opinion. I mean, he is absolutely brilliant with it. Um, Not necessarily, you know, the things that he's. Uh, spouting off you know i'm not uh, religious or anything like that but it's fascinating once you kind of learn the techniques and tools that he's using yeah well that's what i said there's a method to the madness and there's a reason why guys like that or you know i i, I say cult leaders guys who have that like again they when because if you're looking for if you're looking for an answer and they have the answer that's how they get you and it's so it's yeah. just it, and like I, I don't fall for it. You don't fall for it. There's a lot, but there's, and there, again, I'm not mocking people. Like there's intelligent, smart, you know, good people out there who do fall for it. And it's always just yeah. like, I just don't get it. But I, but again, I understand. Well, I think it, there's like, a lot of like, in my opinion, there's like a lot of, uh, I, I guess you would call it cognitive bias, right? Where, where you're searching for something, like you will find it, you know, yeah. and, and like you're searching for a way to lose weight and, you know, this caloric deficit just doesn't seem to be working for it. Cause it's not, again, it's not easy. Right. So, so you're searching for some answer and then you come across this Instagram post and he's like, dude, this is all you got to do. Like, this is easy. You know, yeah. and you're like, dude, I just stop fucking, you know, eating broccoli. And you're like, well, shit, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's worth a try. Right. And then maybe coincidence. The, the, then the, the biggest problem is, and I see this in fighters. I, I tell this to my fighters all the time. Like sometimes the the worst thing that can happen to you is to have success, <laughs> right? Like you see a fighter that's training completely wrong all the time, and then they go have success. Like they're not going to change their training. So, you know, if you go and coincidentally lose some weight because you didn't eat broccoli this week, <laughs> and you just heard this dude say, don't eat broccoli, you're like, well, fuck, it's working. Let's. What else has he got to say? You get. You know what I'm. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would imagine with Dana White or anybody else in that situation, like working out, eating better, and getting more sleep, whatever the case may be. Like that's the answer. Not that he's got some weird, you know, 
yeah. whatever, like the, you know, like the don't eat broccoli thing. Like this is the answer. Like this is the way I would imagine it's everything else you're doing. That's actually creating results. Not because he gave you the magic key of don't eat yeah. broccoli past 5 PM. Like that's no, not, the no, that's, that's exactly it. And there's a by Lane, Lane Norton. He talked about this recently, actually. And he, he was talking about how the, all these different diets, whether it's keto or carnivore or, you know, whatever kind of silly diet. And I've went through those too. Like I went through that phase where I thought I had the magic potion and like <laughs> I did keto. I did it for uh, two fights actually. Um, one of them didn't work out so well. And I realized that, okay, this isn't the way, but anyway, um, you know, ultimately what they're all doing is creating a caloric deficit, <laughs> but people get these results and it's like an easier way to get to a caloric deficit because now you're not having to track your carbs or not. Now you're not having to track, you know, this and that, you know, whatever. Ultimately, all of the benefits came from the caloric deficit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what that one guy was telling you about this on TikTok. It always cracks me up. He's like, He's like, yeah, I sometimes I want to have a bowl of cereal. I want to have a bowl of Lucky Charms. Okay, I'm going to have my bowl of Lucky Charms. I just fit that into my caloric deficit for the day. I understand that's going to be 500 calories. That's a that's a dense, bad meal. But then I just, the rest of the day, I don't eat more than whatever, you know, whatever he's doing, 2,500 calories, whatever he's going for. You can fit whatever you want into your diet as long as you're doing it within reason. Like It's just hilarious exactly. to me because, like I said, every time I see that, I see it all the time. People always seem like they have, and I, again, I think it comes down to that. They have the answer. You're looking, you're looking for an answer and they're telling what they're telling you what you want to hear. They're telling you what you think you want to hear. And right. Right. You know, and, and and that's, and the, the thing is too, there's so, so many nutrition studies that like, it's easy to like find things to kind of, uh, dilute them and water them down and make them sound what they're really not manipulate them a little bit. But if you, if you follow the guys, you know, like Syed or Lane or, or the guy you're talking about, like they've went through all the studies, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands of studies, like they went through these with legit scientists and they know like what works and what doesn't be so it's sort of like a double-edged sword where the the fact that we have so many studies is part of why we know exactly what works and what doesn't what's good and what's bad but it also gives the opportunity for those guys to come in and find a study that somehow proved their point right like the broccoli thing i literally just seen that a couple of weeks ago they were talking some guy said you know, broccoli's bad for you. And it's because he found one study, you know, where something happened where people had broccoli. I don't remember all the details, but, you know, he cherry picked something and manipulated it a little bit. And again, there we have so many studies. Like you can, it's, you can find things like that. Yeah. My, my favorite, uh, I don't know if you ever watched John Oliver last week tonight, but they did a, they did a thing a couple of years ago on peer reviewed studies and like, how you really have to be careful to read into those things. Like you have to really understand what you're reading because like, they'll say, this is a reviewed, this is a reviewed study. This is what it is. Then you look into it like, well, they tested 10 people. That's not, yeah. that's not science. That's you're trying to get a result and you're only testing 10 people or 20 people or whatever the number is. And they were, you should watch it. Like I, again, you would find it fascinating. It's like 25 minutes of him just talking about like how you have to really be careful when they say it's been studied 
Because, yeah, there's lots of studies out there, but are they actually, like, legit studies? Like, you know, you, you can, you can right. you know, 10 people, you can have 10 people who are overweight and say don't eat broccoli for a week and they all lose three pounds. So, well, that's the answer. You <laughs> right, know, like right. that, you, well, it, a lot you of times can, it's like, you know, what are they studying? Yeah. You know, and, and you know, it, because it's a peer-reviewed study, you know, it can tell you, okay, it's, a legit study, but you know, what were they studying? What were the parameters and, and what was the, you know, if they got only 10 people, for instance, like it's probably like a preliminary study, right? They're, <laughs> yeah. they're trying to see if it's worth, you know, getting a thousand people next time. Right. Or, you know, things like that. And it could still be peer reviewed, still be completely legit, but there's so much to that. So, so much that, it's like, in, uh, unless you're an actual scientist studying the fuck out of this, spending your whole days doing this, like Lane or, or Syed, you know, these guys, like, don't be citing that shit because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, your 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 uh, your doctor, whatever it is, and you look it into like, oh, he's a doctor. He must know what he's talking about. And you find he's like a doctorate of like you know communication or something. Like, you know, like <laughs> right. uh, I right, don't know yeah. that I really want to trust but you. Even, as, like, even my... the whole doctor thing. I mean, so many MDs, you know, they they could be legit MDs, but MDs aren't are not like like their nutrition courses are very minimal. Like they know pharmacology. Yeah, like they don't know fucking nutrition that well. Well, there's a reason why when you go to a general practitioner doctor and they say, well, you have a problem with your uh, GI tract, we're going to send you to an internist because they know, they know, you know, like, you know, like I know, I know enough to know you have something wrong. I'm going to send you to the internist. I'm going to send you to the, uh, to the ear, nose and throat. I'm going to send you to, you know, the orthopedic surgeon. I'm not going to do your surgery. I'm a general practitioner. I probably shouldn't be operating on your fucking knee. So I'm going to send you to an orthopedic right. surgeon. Like that's even medicine. Like they haven't drilled that. I, I, it's just funny to me, man. Like I said, just like the people, the pseudoscience out there just always cracks me up. And like, again, I always chalk it up to just be, these guys are cult leaders. Like they really are. They just say buzzy mm-hmm. words and get you believing that what they're preaching is the way. And, you know, uh, everyone, I guess every, you know, certain people just, it's susceptible. And again, I think guys like Dana is an intelligent, smart guy, but you know, he was looking for a way and this dude had the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it kind of sucks too, man. The way that just the way the world is these days where, you know, that, that doctor uh, title carries so much weight and like you said, they're specialists and everything. And then, you know, I'm sure we're not going to harp on this the whole fucking podcast. I'm sure we could. But, you know, it, it just gets into like how politicized things have come become and how how you said like cultish and tribal things have become. And it's tragic, man, because there, there's just not a to find the actual truth is, is just such a fucking job anymore. You know, it's such yeah. a fucking job. And we it's almost like like a lost cause. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's so much wild. Like I said, everything's out there, uh, but no one wants to look deeply enough into it to figure out what it is. Like I said, like I could, I could look. Like there was a, there was a. This is totally unrelated, but this is just the internet. Like there was a post. Someone jokingly put out a post about the NFL draft coming up and a player that was like refusing to play for a certain team. It was a troll job. It was one hundred percent a troll job. Anyone that looked at this dude's account for five minutes knew he was just trolling. It was like the Onion. 
You know what I mean? The young, but but then a real legit sports person went on TV and like basically like blasted the player for having this opinion. It was never real. It was never real. Like that would be like that. That's what it feels like. People like read the onion and they're like, you know, oh my god, this has to be real. Do you realize what the onion is? Like it's a it's a joke. Like they're doing things to basically make fun of you for believing this stuff, and people do it though. And that's like I said, that's the world we live in. No, everyone sees the headline. That's like you know, someone dies. And they put it, someone supposedly dies. They put it on Twitter, and then five minutes later, people are posting eulogies and, you know, rest in peace. And then you find out an hour later, no, this guy's not actually dead. Some idiot just posted on the internet, and everyone ran with it. No, well, there's there's still people sending money to Nigerian princes, <laughs> you know, from their email account. So that's like the guy. It's like the bigger version of the guy. Like whenever you go to a gas station, and some guy walks up and he's like, "Hey, me and my kids are stuck down the road. We just need gas money, and we're stuck down here. Could you help us out?" Like, oh, I'm sure you really are. Yeah, that's it's like a bigger version of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, to be honest, like like that's even. Uh, at least that can be kind of verifiable though right in person you <laughs> yeah. can kind of check and talk to him a little bit and see where he's at and if he's trying to just get some drugs or whatever so <laughs> that's at least more verifiable but yeah that's true yeah that's what true. a fucking world huh like and you know I, I get it man like people are tribalistic right like people want to be a part of something they want to be special and and stick out in their own way so I do understand the psychology behind it. Um, you know, all we can do is try to promote like, like people to think for yourself and, you know, live on your own, man, be, you know, walk alone, walk your path alone and, and believe in what you're doing yourself. I've, I've lived my entire life as a skeptic. I've always been, I, I question everything. Like that's always been my way. I'm a skeptic. I, maybe it's, maybe people don't like that like way of life, but that's how I've always been. But anyways, Enough of that. Let's talk about some MMA uh, because we have UFC 297 coming up in a matter of days. We're going to talk about a couple of fights there. But before we get there, Matt Brown, you heard your name mentioned over the weekend. On Saturday night, Jim Miller goes out and gets a big submission win over Gabriel Benitez. And somebody found a tweet from a year ago that I put out. And I said, Jim Miller won a fight. And I said, you know, he said he'd like to fight. He's willing to go to 170. I said, what about Matt Brown and Jim Miller? I was like, that would be a fun fight. And I started pitching it to both of you guys. And you guys both liked it. But here we are now, UFC 300, a couple months away. Jim said on Saturday night, uh, after the, the post-fight the post press conference, he said, yeah, I really want a legendary fight. I want to fight a guy that's like a legend. And he said, I think Matt Brown might be the guy. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, um, like I tweeted out the other day, you know, it'd be an honor. I love Jim Miller and much respect for him. Um, the only downside is, you know, he is a 55er, so he'd be coming up to my weight class. Um, if anything, it'd be like an advantage for him, right? Because he wouldn't be cutting weight, and I would. So it'd be a little bit advantageous. But, you know, he would be the smaller guy, I think. So um, that would take a little bit away from it. But the fact is, you know, I'm at the tail end of my career this you know, it, I get on 300. There's a chance that that could, a good chance that that could be my last fight to fight someone like Jim Miller, someone that I respect that much with the most wins in the UFC. He's been around uh, forever and has just, you know, shown nothing but heart and just a true warrior. Um, of course, I would love to fight a guy like that, man. Nothing but respect for him. And I, I think I feel it coming uh, the same way from him. You know, there's no anger or, um, you, you know, there, there's, there's no beef there or anything like that. Like, it's just me and him saying, look, like, like we're fucking killers that want to fight killers. And, 
this works out really well. This matches up well. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's a good promotion for 300. I think it's a good fight for 300. Uh, it's an easy job for the matchmakers. We're both already into it. So <laughs> what more is there to say? Let's do it. It reminds me a little bit, and I know, you know, again, Jim is a lightweight, not a welterweight, you know, typically, but, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, when you were fighting, when you got matched up the first ever time to fight Carlos Condit. Like, Carlos is not that dude either. He's just a dude. You And Robbie, kind of the same thing. Like, doesn't talk trash, doesn't. We just know. You put Matt Brown in the cage with Robbie Lawler it, or Carlos Condit, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a fight, you know what I mean? And Jim Miller is built the same way. Like, there's no trash talk. There's no bad blood. Doesn't need to be that. It's just going to be a fucking war. And I think there's just a lot of like I said. The only the, the hardest part for me is I really like both you guys. Like obviously, you know, you're one of my closest friends. We do a podcast together. I'm talking to Jim like an hour from now. Like I already texted him. I was like, hey, let's do an interview today. I'm quite sure. I mean, when I pitched it to him a year ago, he's like, oh, dude, I love that idea. Like you know, like Matt's a legend. Like that's exactly the kind of fight we want. Dude, it would be awesome. And I think the UFC would be way into it, too. And I know Paul Felder. I know he mentioned Paul Felder as well. But Paul put out a, a thing on Instagram yesterday saying, doesn't sound like the UFC's into it. And Jim already kind of said, I think Matt's the guy. Like, Matt, you know, he kind of walked back to Paul Felder thing and said, Matt's the guy. So, I don't know if you talked to the matchmakers yet, but it seems like an easy – you just did Sean Shelby's job for him. I think it's pretty easy for this one. Yeah, yeah. And 300, what better place to put both of us, man. I, I think we're both deserving of it. And – um you know, the card, I think we're both deserving of that card. I mean, what else can I say? Like, you know, that's a yeah. that's a fun place for us to be. And I think it brings some, um, you know, brings a, a good fight to the card that it's hard to imagine it's not going to be a good fight, right? Like like both of us are, are proven uh, battle-tested warriors. So uh, I'm excited for it, and I'll probably text Sean today and say, hey, man, like, this is pretty much a match made in heaven, and you don't have to do any work, so let's go. I like Jim's idea, too, to open the pay-per-view. I think that'd be a great way to do it. Like, you and him <laughs> talk about, like, talk about a way to do, open the pay-per-view. It's a, it's a historic card. What better way to do it than with two old-school legends like you and Jim Miller? Like, who wouldn't like and, and also, let's be clear, like, you just came off a massive knock out of Record McGee. He looked great. Jim looked great on Saturday night. That, yeah. that was a great – like, this is not, like, two guys were like, uh, you know, like, it's, you know, let's put them in there because that's all they can do. Like, no, this is – like, you guys are still very high level. Like, this is going to be a scrap. Yeah, I say either open the main or close the prelims, which I'd be fine to close the prelims, too. That's going to be a lot of people watching those and – I think especially with our names closing out the prelims, I think there'd be a, a lot more people watching and um, yeah, I'm, I'm be stoked, man. I'd love, I, I missed 100 and 200 and I think he did. He fought on 100 and 200. He fought right? on both of them. He fought, that's why he wanted 300 so badly because he fought on both of those. He's the only guy who's done, who would be available to do all three. So yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I somehow got skipped over on both of those. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't really beg, but you know, I was kind of pushing for both of them. Didn't get it. So I'm gonna make a push for uh, 300 now. You know, I could get on one of the double zero cards finally. You said something there though. I know we've talked about this before. Um, you know, for as long as we've been doing the podcast, like you've been openly honest and said, like you know that, like you know, time is ticking on your career. You know, you're not gonna fight forever. You know what I mean? You said there's a good chance. So, is there like a legitimate world where you get 300, you get Jim Miller, and there's a chance that is the last one? Yeah, I'd say pretty good chance to be honest. Um, 
you know, just life just isn't what it used to be, you know, with, uh, the kids are growing up. Like I, I miss so many things of theirs for, uh, for training and stuff, but it's kind of to that point now where like, like my son's in wrestling, uh, uh, season right now. And I'm like, dude, like, I don't want to be missing his wrestling matches. Cause I got to go train, you know, like I want to go to his wrestling matches. Um, on top of that, I got so many up and coming fighters that just aren't really getting any attention from me that, um, I mean, we, I got some fucking killers, man. You know, some guys are going to see in the UFC soon, and I can't really help them out a whole lot. Like, they're, you know, we're kind of texting each other, and and I'm like, hey, bro, you want to come help me train? He's like, yeah, I got to train for my fight. Can you, you know, be southpaw for me? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I got to train for my fight. Can you be southpaw for me? Or, you know, yeah. things like that. And it's, um, you know, so I just got a lot of other things going on, and I haven't lost my passion for fighting, but – um, you know, life is kind of, I just feel like life is taking me down a different road right now. Well, you, you know, it's just a different this, season of my life. Well, you said after even the court McGee fight, like we talked after that fight, we were talking like in the months after that. And you said like, people were talking about you coming back and you said, yeah, it won't be before the new year. Cause like my kids, I got stuff going on with my kids and I don't want to miss that. Like around the holidays and wrestling season and blah, blah, blah. And you said, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that because I want to be there for that. So, like, that's the reality. I just, I literally just talked to Frankie Edgar a couple of days ago, and he's opening his own gym in Jersey. And he was talking, I was like, you know, because, like, he has, like, I think he has, like, four kids. And he's like, yeah, I get to go to my son's, you know, my son's really into wrestling right now, so I'm doing that. My other kid's into this. My daughter's into this. And, like, I'm doing that. And I said, that's got to be, like, if, as much as you might miss fighting, like, that's got to be nice because you miss so much. Like you miss so much just being in training camp and, and cause fighting has to be a selfish sport. Like you have to be selfish to do it. And you know, your kids are young, like young enough to where there's, they're like, but you don't get that time back. Like you don't get like, exactly. you don't get, you don't like your son wins his first big wrestling meet. You don't get that back. Like you can't have exactly. him run it back three days later. Like, hold on, dad was training. Can you do it again in three? No, like that's not how the world works. Yeah, there's that. And they're also they're kind of at that age now where they're going to remember if I was there, you know, like yeah. like, like my boys being 13, my daughter's eight. Um, of, of course, they'll remember when they, they were younger, too. But, you know, they're at that age now where, you know, if my son goes and wins a wrestling match or my other son, he's a huge golfer. He goes and wins a, a golf mat, meet, match, whatever you call it, <laughs> um, <laughs> golf game. Um you know, they're going to know, they're going to remember that I was standing there watching and that I was, you know, took pictures at the podium. Whereas it, they're going to remember if I wasn't also. And of course, those memories of going to UF, UFC 300, for instance, they get to come out there and watch that. They'll remember that too. But, you know, I would rather them remember me being at their match than them coming to my match, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. And that's stuff that, I mean, that's formative stuff, right? Like when you're a kid, you remember your dad was there cheering you on. Your dad was there, you know, when you celebrate, you want to celebrate with your dad or whatever. Like those little things make a huge difference. Um, and, you know, that's that's why you have kids. Like you want to celebrate them. You want to be there for them. And so I get it, you know. So, yeah, I would do. And like I said, we always talk about like, you know, we've talked many times on this show about like guys like, and I'm not, I'm just using this as an example, but like BJ Penn, who I have just the utmost respect for legend of the sport, but like some guys, you know, just stick around too long. You feel kind of bad for him at the end. You're kind of like, man, like, I just don't like seeing this guy lose, whatever the case may be. 
you want to go out on your own terms. You want to, you know, as I think you said it or I said somewhere along the way, we said it where you you want to retire from the sport. You don't want the sport to retire you. And uh, picking and choosing to go out on a historic card like 300 against another legend like Jim Miller couldn't write a better script. That's how I kind of feel about it. And, you know, there's also, say, I don't know BJ's life or anything, but, you know, you got to wonder if maybe, maybe his last few fights, if his priorities had changed a little bit, right? And, you know, he went out on a losing streak and maybe he was going to his kids' tournaments instead of training. And now he's going in the cage half ass. You know, I mean, I think uh, it's pretty well known. BJ was always a little <laughs> bit, you know, not the hardest training guy ever. But, but you know, just for example, you know, and I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to go in there being like, oh, I wish I would have trained a little bit harder, you know. But there's, a, you know, it's a stressful battle, that mental battle of like, okay, do I go to his tournament? Do I, you know, do I go to this parent-teacher conference or or do I go train, you know, different things like that. So, um, yeah, so either way, uh, probably pretty close to the end, man, this might be it, but, uh, I, it would be an honor to go out and fight a guy like Jim Miller to end it all. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I know you said many times when it's all said and done, you feel like you're going to be a better coach and you were a fighter. And that's also going to be able to put your, that's going to put your, that's going to put your focus on that as well you know what i mean like because i know you love yeah, coaching. And i've already seen that to be honest because like these guys that i'm coaching like i said i got some killers that are coming up and and when i watch them going out there just doing the things that i taught them and they're hitting it on me and they're doing it in fights and i'm just like dude like i got some shit to teach these guys man <laughs> yeah and yeah and, and plus just being around the sport for so long and being around this game for so long but also spreading my uh, my education widely like being very diverse in it like with finances and and business and different things like that um could bring a lot to the table for a uh, young up-and-comer yeah absolutely well i love the idea i hope it happens hopefully by next week we're doing this uh podcast again and we're talking about the fight with jim miller's official for ufc tournament you, you you guys have both done the ufc's job for them they don't need to do it sean shelby take the day off just send the contracts uh, get it done because this seems like the perfect fight to go out on uh, and the perfect fight for 300 like I said and and that's what I said like I I understand the mentality of like you know always will never whatever but sometimes something's got to be special and this is like a special moment like there's a there's a there's a special feeling to you and Jim Miller fight, fighting yeah I agree and I, it sounds to me like the fans are all about it and that's what we're doing it for right absolutely absolutely yeah so hopefully we'll we'll get some news on you hopefully you'll get some news on that and then we'll hear the news here on the podcast uh, uh i just tasted sean shelby let's see if he replies <laughs> back during the podcast there we go i like it let's see let's see sean get back to us let's hear what's going on here uh what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the prop g podcast and an entrepreneur myself Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. So UFC 297 coming up in a matter of days. A couple title fights on there. Of course, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Sean Strickland and Drake's Duplessis. And I want to, before we get to the fight itself, which is a very intriguing fight, but I want to, because we're getting ready to get into media day, press conference. Last time these two were together, it got nasty. Um, Drake's said some pretty wild things to Sean. Sean got, came right back at him. Then they're in the crowd together, 296, and Sean leaps yeah. over some chairs and fights him. Um, I expect things are going to get nasty this week, and things are probably going to get kind of ugly. We've talked about this a little bit on the show before, Matt. Specifically, we talked more about the Ian Gary stuff, but that also involves Sean Strickland. Can I ask, As a, like, you've never been a big trash talker. Like, that's never been your way. Um but you understand it. Like you understand how it goes for sure. Is there like, you, I, don't, I don't know how maybe you saw headlines. You read a little bit about you. I'm sure you, maybe you saw that, you know, Sean did that interview on Theo Vaughn where he talked very openly about like the, the trauma he suffered as a child, you know, pretty, pretty brutal stuff. But then in the same breath, he also said, you know, some things are out of bounds. Like was why he went after Dracus. What is the ba- like, is there a boundary? Like, is there a boundary to this stuff? Because I know it's going to get ugly. Like, Drake is, is going to say things he probably shouldn't say. The same thing, the same way Colby Covington said things he shouldn't say. Um, I don't know. Like, is there a line? Have we have we already just crossed that line and we're just like so far beyond it we can't even see the line anymore? Um, you know, it's all entertainment, right? So, in my opinion, it comes down to like whether whether what you're saying is entertaining or not. Right. Like, like Colby saying that stuff about Leon Edwards dad was not entertaining. Right. It was just simply a, a low blow. Like it, it didn't uh, entertain anybody at all. Nobody was, was like, wow, that was a fucking great one, bro. You know, um, to me, that's really what it comes down to. But, you know, guys like Strickland, you know, he does cut deep sometimes, right? Like he, he pushes the limit and, um, to not expect that back, I think is, you know, a little bit naive, <laughs> uh, you know, like if you cut, you know, you try to go low on somebody like they're going to go a little bit lower. I mean, that's just the game that he's, that's the can of worms that he's opened. So that's, you know, but whether there's something out of bounds, I mean, you know, again, in, in terms of the entertainment side of things, you know, it's like, well, if it's not entertaining, then why you you saying it? You know, we don't want to hear it. But now, so if you're saying it just to get under someone's skin, you know, I don't know. It's not my thing, but I get why they do it too. But it, yeah, it's not I, my thing. I like I like the way you phrase that though. Is it entertaining? Because we've had this conversation before regarding Connor. When Connor was at his best and 
you know, doing the whole, you know, when the Jeremy Stevens thing, like, who the fuck is this guy? And the uh, Red Panty Night. And, you know, we all know the, the great Connor Lyons. That was hilarious. That was funny. That was, you know, even when he, even when he, you know, with the, the whole Jose Alda thing, say, I'm the king of Rio and doing all that, you know, tearing up the picture and going to the bar and shooting darts at the picture. And that's all fun. And it was entertaining. When it stopped being fun and entertaining is when he said, Dustin Poirier, your wife's in my DMs and stuff like yeah. that. And he was talking about Khabib's wife. And, you know, th- that's where it's just like, yeah, it's not funny. It's not creative. And and as you said, it's not entertaining. And, like, and, it, and what you said about Sean is true. Sean cuts deep. And, like, Sean said, like, you shouldn't talk about wives, yet he was absolutely talking about Ian Gary's wife. Like, he absolutely went there. So, like, as you said, you go low. You got to expect the guy's going to go lower. So, Sean, like... I'm not saying, like, I don't think, like, I listen, I grew up in a really fucked up household myself. I would hope that no one would ever try to use that as a way to mock me, but I also know that I would never go that low to mock somebody else. Like, I know that. Like, I appreciate, like, I know people are saying, well, he's not the most exciting dude on the microphone. I get it. But, like, Benil Dariush, one thing Benil Dariush always tells me whenever we do interviews, we talk about, like, why he didn't get crazy or calling for title shots and stuff like that. He's like, I always remind myself that one day, my kids are going to be old enough to look up their dad on the internet and see interviews yep. and, and post fight interviews. And I want them to be proud of their dad. Now there's a lit, you know, I understand like, you know, again, there's an entertainment factor to that. And, you know, I, again, some stuff that said is, is funny and good and whatever, but, um, ultimately like Sean being willing to say whatever he wants, <laughs> uh, and, and, Again, he did. He did attack Ian Gary's wife. He did. Like, you can't say, like, don't talk about people's wives, and then you did it. Like, he did it. Right. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm with you. Like, if it's not, like, I, th- there's entertaining and there's uncomfortable. When, you know, Col- when Connor was at his best, it was entertaining. When he was talking about Khabib's wife, it was uncomfortable. That's the line for me. Yeah, and, and when you get into that uncomfortable, when you get into that low blow shit, it's like, I don't know. You better go out there and do something with it. You know, (laughs) like, like if you guys are really, I don't, it just, it doesn't really make sense to me because it's not like these guys actually know each other and have some long, like if Masvidal and Colby Covington started cutting low on each other, like I would get it right. Like they were friends and then they became not friends and they know each other. Well, they, you know, I think I would kind of get that and I think it would make more sense, but we talk about two guys from opposite sides of the planet who are just talking shit because they're going to fight. It just doesn't make sense. It's like, why do you hate the guy so much? Like that you would cut that low, you know, like if you, again, if you say, so if you're saying shit, that's entertaining, I get it. Try to fire him up, try to get the fight hyped up, you know, but it, like, you don't even know this guy, right? Like you guys have never even hung out. You you guys, you're not like old friends or, you know what I mean? You're not, you never even trained together. It's like, what's the point? Now it just looks bad on the person saying it. And that that's again, when it kind of, when it goes from the entertaining to just simply being low blows, it just it doesn't make sense and it it again it loses its entertainment value and um whether it actually plays a part in the mental uh you know the mindset of winning the fight you know i i guess like if 
if somehow you know you said one of these low blows like like say Colby saying that to Leon and it ended up messing with Leon's head and therefore Colby goes out and wins okay I get that that's the art of war okay fair fair game to you in retrospect um but when you're saying these things you know it's like you're trying to not rely on your martial skills to go win the fight. And that's what we're all looking to see, you know? And again, that's why I kind of get it when you talk about a guy like guys like Colby and George, like if they started cutting on each other low, I think we would kind of get it, you know, even no matter how low they went, we'd be like, yeah, you know, these guys really don't like each other. Like they're really saying what they feel. We're talking about two guys you, you know, that are ultimately just engaging in a martial arts competition. Oh. It's like, what's the point? You know, you, it's, it's not doing it for us. The only reason to be doing it would be for the fans or to get into his head a little bit. And it's like, okay, if you get into his head, like, okay, I guess we can accept that. Like how proud of that are you? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's when you talk about like, you know, your kids are going to be seeing this shit when you're, 60 years old and how proud are you going to be that you said those things yeah and, and you're right like i remember like they didn't i mean they didn't get truly nasty but like if john jones and rashad evans had gone at each other's throats back in the day after they trained together were friends for years and they broke apart one guy left the team got ugly kind of like you said with george and, and colby i get it like they really know each other and they really don't like each other i understand that but like yeah, this one, it's just, it, again, you're just like, and, you know, Sean Strickland says dumb stuff, like he does. And I, I've said on the podcast in more recent years, like I've kind of become a little bit more of a Sean Strickland fan just because I realize the difference between Sean Strickland and a guy like Colby Covington is that Sean Strickland is authentically Sean Strickland. Like he's that guy. He's that guy. Now, I'm not saying he's right in what he says. I'm certainly not saying I agree with everything he says. But he's just that dude. Like, he is just that guy. Like, if you meet Sean Strickland with no cameras on, in a room by yourself, just hanging out, he's going to be that dude. You know what I mean? He's going to be the same guy. He doesn't change his personality just because there's a camera on, which is Colby. You know what I mean? Colby puts on this personality and this act. Sean Strickland is Sean Strickland. You know, I, I, I've said this quote on the show before. Colby, Sean Strickland is who Colby Covington wishes he was. Like, he's just authentically Sean Strickland. For good or for good or bad, and you know, I'm not into cancel culture. I'm not into like you know whatever. So I kind of, in a weird way, appreciate that Sean just speaks his mind. I certainly don't agree with everything he says, but I appreciate he speaks his mind. But when you start crossing that line, as you said, if he goes low, you got to expect the other guy's going to go lower. And so I don't really care for it. I don't really see it. And I agree with what you say. Like it's not like Drikus and. Sean are old friends and they not friends anymore. They just, they're just doing it to cut each other down and trying to make an advantage in the fight. And doesn't really do much for me when it goes that low. Like you want to talk about like Sean can't finish anybody and he's got pillow hands. Okay. That's fine. That's fair game. But yeah, like mocking the dude because he was abused as a child or whatever. Like, ah, that I have no interest in that. Like that doesn't do anything for me. Um, but again, what you're saying is absolutely right. You know, when Sean goes low, He's got to expect the other guy's going to probably try to go lower. Yeah, and I just I, – I don't – I've had a lot of fights, and maybe my mind is a little bit different, but, like, someone could say just about anything to me, and when I step in there, I'm not going to, like, want to kill him worse. Like, <laughs> I already want to kill him. You know, like, like it doesn't really matter what you say. Like, 
I'm going to go in there and try to do the best that I can to take your head off period. And so I don't know. I, I don't really get that whole game of war thing or art of war type mentality there. Uh, but I, I get them trying to do it. Um, I would like to see it, you know, in a more tasteful manner because we are professional athletes. Like, like if you're, if, if you're in, um, I don't know what, what I forget what they call them, like street fights on YouTube or whatever. I, I guess it kind of makes more sense. Right. Cause like you're kind of just some white trash people out there <laughs> just, you know, you know, trying to talk shit to each other, but like, we're supposed to be the highest level level professional athletes. And if you believe that you are that good of an athlete and you're good enough to win, then you don't really need to cut that low. Right. What's the point? So um, that, and again, Connor kind of opened that game because his, particularly when he fought Jose Aldo, right? Because we, I think most of us would agree that the 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 mindset that he put Aldo in during that fight probably affected Aldo poorly and probably helped Connor in some respect win that fight. At least helped him win it the way that he did, right? I think just skill for skill, whether Aldo or Connor, Connor wins that fight, like Aldo lasts longer than that nine out of 10 times. Right. So with that said, um, you know, people just kind of wanted to, you know, seen that it worked and was like, well, how can I do that? And again, they don't have the creativity uh, and, and even Connor lost the creativity, right. Where he was like, you know, well, I guess I got to, you know, to be more extreme than last time to get in this guy's head. And it's just kind of been a race to the bottom ever since. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a good way to put it, race to the bottom. Now, in terms of the fight itself, it's a really intriguing fight. I mean, listen, Sean Strickland surprised everybody. Certainly surprised you and I when he beat Israel Adesanya the way he did. No one saw that coming. And if you did, you're probably lying. Or you're in his camp, which I understand. You're his friend. You're his teammate. You're going to pick him to win. But I talked to Brad Tavares who trains with Sean Strickland every single day at Extreme Couture. And he told me flat out, he's like, I thought Sean could win that fight. I certainly didn't think it would go that way. Even he was honest enough to say, I didn't think it would go that way. I, I've stopped looking past Sean Strickland as like a legitimately really, really good middleweight based on that performance. I always knew he was good, but I never really pegged him as like a future champion, right? Like I didn't see it. Like when I saw him early, I was like, yeah, this guy's a top 10 fighter didn't see him being a champion um my perspective has changed a lot rewatching some of his fights and getting ready for this fight that being said i kind of had a similar feeling about dracus like dracus was good but i was like yeah i don't know like maybe he's the guy i just i'm not totally sold on him he kind of he would fight from behind a lot he'd kind of lose the first round and then kind of come back and he had some weird performances and he found ways to win but then he goes out and does what he does to Robert Whitaker and absolutely starches Robert Whitaker, which no one does that. Israel Adesanya is the only guy in the last decade who has gone out there and absolutely starched Robert Whitaker. So this is weird. Like they're both in kind of a similar position where I wasn't totally sold on either one of them, and their last performances changed my mind. Yeah, I think that's probably that's a common sentiment right there. I think a lot of people probably agree exactly with what you're saying, and both these guys don't come with those tools that you see like a Leon Edwards or, or uh, um, Alex Pereira where, you know, or Daniel Cormier or something where, where you're seeing the skills from 
you know, whether striking, wrestling, grappling, whatever, where, where you see the techniques and you're like, this dude is performing these techniques so well, like the, you know, I, I think he's going to be a champion, right. Or, or we see like, why wow, he's got just amazing cardio. He's so strong. He's a great wrestler. You know, there's, there's not like that one thing that sticks out where you're like, dude, we can definitely pick this guy's going to win because of this matchup that way. Both these guys are just fucking guys that are able to get it done. That's really like all it comes down to, right? Is these guys know how to win a fight. N not necessarily with technique, not necessarily with uh, strategy or, you know, um, brilliant tactics like we see with, a, you know, like, like a Charles Oliveira. Like you could look at him and, you know, see how he matches up with other guys. And you're like, damn, he's got really good Muay Thai, but he kind of, you know, like stands up straight a little bit. And, you know what I mean? where you can kind of, or like Khabib, you break him down. Like, okay, if he can wrestle the guy, like he's definitely winning. Right? With these two, like the, the, everything they do is awkward and everything they do is not by the book. So it makes for a, it, it makes for a, a tough to pick them to be champions. It makes it tough to pick them to be where they're at right now. And I still wonder personally about, you know, where Robert Whitaker was in that fight. Cause uh, you know, did Drykus catch him on a bad day? Did he, you know, was it just a, I don't want to say fluke, but was it kind of a fluke? You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, because that's really the the one performance that we all talk about with Drykus where we're like, nobody believed in him. Then he beats Robert Whitaker and everybody believes in him. So, so with that, I'm going to go with Sean Strickland on this one, but because the one thing about Sean Strickland that we can say for sure, sure, is like if he hasn't been anything else, it's been consistent. And we know what he's going to do, but he does it awkwardly. He does it different than everybody else. He does it his own way, but he's very fucking consistent with it. He's going to jab you. He's going to stand there. Uh, you know, he's going to do what he does. Drykus, on the other hand, I we just don't really know, right? He's just kind of a fucking a banger man that just finds ways to get it done. Yeah. Sean, like I'm going with Sean Strickland as well, which is usually dangerous when you and I pick the same fight, it usually ends in disaster, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go, I'm going to go with Sean as well for a lot of what you just said. Like Sean doesn't do anything spectacularly. Like you said earlier, like he's not, you're not looking at him and saying, you know, when you watch um, Islam or Khabib and you're like, if he gets you on the ground, you're, you're screwed. Like there's no way you're getting out of this. He doesn't have that style. And when he knocked down Adesanya, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Sean doesn't really knock down people. He just kind of like blood. He's like the death by a thousand cuts. That's mm -hmm. Sean Strickland style. Like he doesn't hit you with big power shots. He doesn't have huge knockout power. He doesn't have Pereira knockout power, any of that kind of stuff. But he just, he just picks away at you. It's like, he just keeps that jab in your face and he keeps coming. He's got great cardio and he just does not slow down. It's like, He's the guy who pisses you off. You're like, I can't get him out of my face. Like, I don't, it's like, he's like a gnat, like the gnat that just keeps swirling around your face in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why the fuck can't I get this gnat out of my face? That's Sean Strickland, you know, except Sean Strickland can, you know, just batter you for 25 minutes. Drakus has had too many moments outside of that Robert Whitaker fight where he's looked bad. Like, he's looked out of it. He looked like he was losing the fight. Now, I understand part of that. We always talk about the cardio and he had a, 
deviated septum. He had the surgery. Okay, but that's, you know, one fight from that was the Robert Whitaker fight, and I kind of lean on your side where it's like, was he... Was that the best Robert Whitaker? Was Robert Whitaker really at his peak in that fight? He looked odd in that fight. Now, again, don't want to take away credit from Drake because he got the job done, but it was a weird fight, and I've never seen Whitaker really approach anything like that, and credit to, to Drake for getting it done. But weirdly, as much as I underestimated Sean Strickland against Israel Adesanya, I know who Sean Strickland is. I don't know that I really truly understand who Dracus is yet. And so right. I think that's kind of where I lean towards Sean getting the win. It may be a 48-47 decision. It may not be the most exciting fight in the world. It may just be him shoulder rolling and throwing jabs for 25 minutes. But I know kind of what I'm getting out of Sean Strickland when he fights. And I think that's why I have to lean to him to get this win. Well, and, that, and that's exactly where I'm at. Is that I, I do see Dracus as being hittable and probably particularly with the jab and Sean Strickland does have a tremendous jab. He has a, a really good jab that again, more than anything, like he's consistent with it. Like he's going to throw that jab. You know, he's going to throw that jab. You know, he's going to throw it a lot. And if you don't find a way to stop it and earn his respect where he's not throwing that jab as much anymore, uh, you're going to have a long night ahead of you. And that's all that there is to it. That's why, like, I kind of favor a guy like a Hamzat against a Strickland because he's not going to just stand there and let him jab him. He's going to go for takedowns. He's going to get in the clinch, dirty wrestle, all those kind of things. And I don't know that Dracus is is built the same way. Like, I think Hamzat would be a far worse matchup for Sean than Dracus would be, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, Hamzat might be a bad matchup for about anybody, right? <laughs> true, <laughs> true. But, like, that style, like, I know, like, you know, again, we, like, I, it, there are certain guys, like, Sean, as I said, he's going to pick at you. And I think Drake is, may let him pick at him, and that's going to cost him I'm rounds. Saying. And a guy like Hamzat wouldn't. Hamzat's going to go out there, grab a double leg, and put you on the mat. Now, can he do it for 25 minutes? Sure, looked like he couldn't do it against Kamar Usman, but... You know, maybe we'll find out when they actually fight. But I would have a lot more questions if this was Hamzad versus Sean than I do with Sean versus Drake. So, you know, so, yeah, I'm leaning Sean Strickland. I think he gets the job done. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like I said, it's, it's got to – you got to get um, – you know, you have to counter the jab. You have to, you know, put some takedowns off the, his jab. You got to do something to get him to slow down that jab because – I think that's the whole game plan that you have to figure out with Strickland. Um, Israel Adesanya couldn't figure it out. Uh, a lot of guys before him couldn't figure it out. But until you slow him down, finding the timing and the distance on that jab, um, you're going to have a, a long night ahead of you. And I don't see where Drakus has anything that's going to do that. Um, again, he might go for some takedowns. He might look to counter it. He might look to jab first. But I think Sean is really well-rounded enough uh, to be able to put a stop to all those things. And he's probably going to jab him for 25 minutes. It's probably not going to be exciting. It's probably not going to be uh, – because Drakus is tougher than Nails, and I think he'll be able to take it for 25 minutes. And, you know, Sean will probably have some moments where he has some big things go on, and I think Drakus probably have some moments. But, you know, I, I think in, in – the you know, when you look at this fight uh, uh, from a tactical standpoint, I mean, it's going to be Sean – uh, jabbing Drake is for 25 minutes. Pretty boring, probably. Well, you we have to remember, like, when you look at the Adesanya fight, like, he had that knockdown in the first round, which was stunning, right? Like, no one saw that coming. 
But the rest of the fight was pretty much that. It was him jabbing at Adesanya, and Adesanya not being able to avoid the jab. It wasn't like the rest of that fight was this exhilarating fight of the year. But we were all sto- like, we were also shocked at how well Sean was doing against Israel Adesanya. Almost knocked him out in the first round. That I think we kind of wore blinders the rest of the time. Like it was a great. I'm, I'm not saying it was a bad. It was a, a brilliant performance. But he didn't go away from what got him there. He was in Izzy's face, sticking that jab in his face for 25 minutes. It's just that first round getting the knockdown, and then Izzy just having no answer for Sean's step forward, jab, 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 and not being able to avoid it, finding an answer for that, was just stunning. You know, yeah. he may have the exact yeah. same fight here, but we're, we kind of see it coming. Like, we're kind of like, we know what this is going to be. And when you say, like, it might be kind of boring, I agree. Like, I don't think it, I don't think Sean Strickland is built for that super exhilarating, exciting fight. Uh, I don't even think the Adesanya one was that way. It was just that we were so stunned that he was doing it to Israel Adesanya that we're like, holy shit, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, even though it was pretty much a typical Sean Strickland fight. Yeah, the, the only interesting part will be if Drakus is able to, well, obviously if he's able to strike with them and, you know, find ways around that jab. Because um, you got to think he will also probably, should be more prepared than Adesanya was too, right? Like, I don't yeah. know how much Adesanya prepared specifically for that, but he looked like he just had no answers for that jab. Whereas Drakus, maybe he'll go in, look for some body locks. You know, he seems to like those a lot, go in and, body lock them, they push them against the fence. You know, you gotta, you just gotta do something to stop that jab. So, you know, hopefully Drakus is more prepared for it and makes it uh, uh, more of a back and forth fight. Yeah. There's some other good fights in this card. Of course, Neil Magny fighting Mount Mike Malott. That's a really interesting fight. Of course, Chris Curtis on this card. Uh, but I real quick before we get out of here, I want to mention the, the women's title fight. Of course, Myra Bueno Silva against Raquel Pennington. And I'm certainly not, trying to dog the fight. I think Myra Bueno Silva's looked incredible since she's come to Bantamweight. She's undefeated. Looks really, really good. And Raquel is an old school fighter. Been around forever. Fought everybody. But it's weird. And I said this, uh, we were talking about this internally about this fight. I'm not going to sit here and break down analytics of this fight. I'm not going to sit here and do that. But I, I, but it's weird that like five years ago, six, well, probably longer than that now, like six, seven years ago, when Ronda Rousey was on top of the world and she was champion, and even when Holly Holm knocked her out and then Misha Tate got the title, like that little three-fight run, even and then you get to Amanda Nunes. The women's bantamweight division was one of the more marquee divisions in the sport because it started with Rousey, massive star, huge. You know, she was right alongside Connor for the longest time. She loses, and then the interest shift to Holly Holm, and then Holly Holm loses to Misha. Misha had a big name. Same kind of thing. And then Amanda Nunes comes in and just starts wrecking shop. Now that Amanda's gone, like this division has really become an afterthought. Like no one has really stepped up to become the star. Um, Juliana Pena tries desperately to do it. But Juliana Pena, for those who don't are unaware, outside of her win over Amanda Nunes, which was an incredible and amazing win, she doesn't hold a single win over anyone else on the current active UFC roster. Not one. Mm. Not one win over anyone on the current active UFC roster. It's weird. Like, there's a second title fight on this card, and it's almost like an afterthought. Like, it just feels like this division has gone away in, in recent years. And I'm not trying to dog the women who are there. I hope they can – I hope – I hope Myra Bueno Silva and Raquel Pennington can have, like, a Ioana – Zhang Wei Li fight like their first fight where it's just this epic five round war and that's all we want to talk about afterwards and that maybe can kind of revitalize things but 
it, this feels like just like a fight. Like it's a title fight, but it's just like, oh, they're fighting. Like that's I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure. The I didn't even know they were fighting. <laughs> <It was, laughs> see, you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's they're gonna need some stars in the women, um, you know, to revitalize the entire women's. Uh, uh, MMA in the UFC all around, right? Like there's most of the stars have kind of, I don't know if you say fallen off, but, you know, kind of gone away, right? Like Valentina, she lost, um, you know, uh, Alexa Grasso isn't really a star, you know, to replace like a Valentina. Um, and Amanda's retired, I think, right? I think she's retired. Yeah, um, she's gone, yeah. Of course, Ronda's gone, you know, it doesn't look like Misha is probably going to get back to the uh, prime that she was in when she was fighting Ronda. Uh, I mean, I'm just not seeing, you know, Joanna, she's gone. It's like, I'm just not really seeing any of these women that really stick out, you know, that's just like, you know, that has that it factor to them, you know? Yeah, so like there's probably going to be a lot of this, kind of back and forth and you know this one wins this one wins and um you know like you said like like juliana penny is trying but she's not a star you know and i, I don't see the star factor star quality in really any of these um maybe valentina comes back and you know wrecks everybody again i think she's probably the best hope but i'm not seeing it personally i don't know it's weird. Dana always says it like when guys retire and everyone's always like, how are you going to move on from this? And I agree with Dana a hundred percent when he said like when Chuck Liddell retired, somebody else stepped up. Conor McGregor hasn't fought for three years and the UFC has had three of the most profitable revenue producing years of all time without Conor fighting. So you're always going to have new people step up. You know, we've had Adesanya become a star. We've had other guys step in. Islam's become, become a bit of a star. Volkanovsky, you know, gets a lot of attention when he fights. And Alex Pereira has become a draw when he fights because, you know, the the thing with Izzy. Uh, John Jones came back. Of course, we all know what John Jones is, you know, greatest of all time. But it feels like in that division in particular, there hasn't been that. Like, I think uh, my opinion is, and she's not a bantamweight, I mean, she's a strawweight, but like I think Tatiana Suarez is probably our best hope. Of, yeah. Like she just goes out there and absolutely mauls people. It's just like. Even, even Tatiana, though, I mean. She's a, I think she's easily the best fighter on the roster right now when it comes to women. But does she have that star quality though? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can, mark, you know, I think she's going to go, I think she'll go out there and probably go on a run. And I think she's going to demolish everybody they put in front of her. I don't think anybody has a chance against her, honestly, as far as what I've seen from her. But like, how many does she got to win? And how dominant does she got to be before she starts getting, you know, real star power, you know, before she can like headline a pay-per-view like Amanda Nunes was. Yeah. It's a weird one because no one has really filled that void, right? Like Joanna left. I like Zhang Weili. I do like, she's a fun fighter to watch, but the language barrier kills her in America. Like it's just, it's not the same, you know what I mean? And so you got that. And Alexa Grasso seems like she could be a huge star in Mexico, but is that going to translate into selling pay-per-views in the United States? Valentina had a bit of that. You know, she was such a dominant champion. We kind of, but even then, like, 
even then the argument was, well, what's her level of competition? Like was, you know, is the people she's beating, you know, really the best in the world or is she just that much better than everyone she's fighting right now? I think the Grasso thing was a good, was almost weirdly good for Valentina that she actually had like a rival. But then you look at Bantamweight, like nobody, there's just nothing. Like we're still, we were all still hoping for Holly Holm to like come back and be it again. And Holly Holm is now like 41, you know, she's lost like two out of her last three, you know, Misha, had a great win her last fight against Julie Avila, but that's after she got, you know, after she lost badly to Lauren Murphy and then had kind of an ugly, not so exciting fight against Ketlin Vieira. So, yeah, it's weird. Like, you're right. Like, all the stars have left those divisions, and it just doesn't seem like anyone has really taken their places. Like, I know it's going to be hard to replace Ronda Rousey, but Ronda, Holly, Misha, Joanna, Amanda all gone and no one has really, you know, you know, Khabib left Islam. Boom. He's right in the place. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't feel like there's been that way. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Yeah. I'd I'd like to see him just start going out recruiting more, you know, getting some, uh, you know, maybe some of the wrestlers or something. I'm I'm not sure. You know, like, like I'd love to see Helen Morales go in there and, see what she can do in the UFC. I don't, I don't know if she'd be interested or I think she said, I think she, I think she said she doesn't want to do MMA. And yeah, I think she's one of the ones who said she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Someone, someone like her, you know, like a pretty face and, uh, you know, a a, a well-spoken, intelligent person with, uh, with credentials at the wazoo, you know, just a, an absolute stud of an athlete. Um, I mean, they're going to have to start finding these people somewhere. I mean, a lot of these girls, you know, I'm not going to mention specific names, but you know, they're just not that athletic to start with. And they're just not, you know, they're fighters and they're tough. And, but you know, when we, like, that was what was so great about watching Joanna, for instance, I mean, she had great technique and it was great watching her and, you know, she went through some wars and, you know, she would do these things that you would expect uh, better than a lot of men would do, you know? And of course, you know, she was also a pretty girl and, you know, had a, um, you know, sort of that aura about her, you know, being from uh, Europe and everything. So uh, they're going to have to find some of that somewhere, I think. Um, it's unfortunate know, because it. I think I think Kayla Harrison would be the one. She's incredibly oh, yeah. well-spoken. She's a monster. She just fights in a weight class that doesn't really exist. Like, that's her problem. Yeah. Like, she just has no one to really fight. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's just, she would be the – she is the ideal candidate, but – you know, she doesn't fight like where the majority of good fights would be. Like she, if she fought at one twenty five, we'd have a whole other conversation. But unfortunately, she fights at you know one fifty, even one forty five. Like you're gonna fight Larissa Pacheco or Chris Cyborg. That's it. Like that's all you can do. And so, like I said a couple of years ago, like, after the Olympics happened in in, in twenty twenty one for the twenty twenty games. Like I was like, if I'm the UFC, I'm signing. I'm trying to find everyone, everyone like Tamira Mensah Stock who won a gold medal, like WWE signed her. That was a fighter. Like if she wanted, because she's a big MMA fan, I was like, how's the UFC not like putting a feeler out to her and be like, come here, learn how to fight MMA. You know, what I mean, you're a gold medalist. Like there's something we can promote. That's what that. That's what's neat. Like you know, Kayla Harrison would be the ideal candidate, but again, she fights in a weight class that just doesn't really exist. Yeah, or or even. I don't even know what weight class she is, but Clarissa Shields, maybe. Um, I think she's, she's 45, in, though, right? She's she's also. 55. She's in the same thing. She's in the same oh, boat. Yeah. Yeah, and she already yeah, lost. But, like, she's in another one. Like, the wrestlers but, uh, are who they should be well, going after. They, maybe they could have recruited her before, yeah. you know, worked out something, got her the right matchups, you know, whatever. But, 
yeah, yeah, I, it's just an uphill battle for them now. Now they they got to play catch up with you know getting stars and bringing the talent pool up because the talent just you know. I don't want to sound like I'm dogging women's MMA because that's how everybody's going to take it, but like the talent just isn't that great right now. Yeah, it's like I said, I think that it should have been the wrestlers. Like you mentioned, Helen Marulis, um, Sarah Hildebrand, she was a, I think, bronze medalist yeah. in 2020. Um, Tyra Mensa Stock would have been the one. I know she's doing WWE now, but like she would have been the one. She was kind of like the Gable Stevenson, just went out there and just looked incredible. Like that's. And I know they, 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 you know, I know Bella Mir, Frank Mir's daughter's out there. Like she's, you know, signed to an NIL deal with the UFC. Hopefully she develops into something. She's a monster in wrestling. Like, I think that's where you got to start looking is wrestling and try to bring in those, those girls. And I think maybe we'll see it. But right now it's just non, like I said, I mentioned the title fight. You didn't even know it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that's why I picked Tatiana to kind of dominate all these girls because I mean, we all know from our years of watching MMA, like wrestling can be the most dominant uh, skill that you can have in a cage. And when you're talking about the level of Tatiana, who was a, a medalist with bronze or silver in uh, in wrestling, you know, like like I don't see any of these girls being able to stop that right now, you know? And, yeah. and she also has good striking and everything too. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, like it's, it's just a weird one. It's a weird time because, like I said, this was, you know, times change, I guess. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just weird that no one's really filled that void. Like, it's just a weird well, – like, To be fair, they also – you know, I think they also maybe overhyped them a little bit early early on, right, with, the, with like, Rhonda, for instance, you know, talking about how great she was and everything. And it was a little bit like overhype, you know, and then we all kind of got let down – a little bit. So you know? are you tell are you telling me Ronda Rousey wouldn't actually beat Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Is that like <laughs> eh, she might. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's that's that remember that conversation? That was a good time. Uh, yeah, or Kane Velasquez. Didn't she yeah. said she'd beat Kane or something. I don't know. Good lord. Yeah, some wild stuff. So all right. Uh, UFC 297 goes down Saturday night. Watch it. We'll uh, we'll kind of react to everything on uh, next week's podcast. Hopefully, we'll also. Did you, I assume Sean didn't text you back during the show? No, I would have said something if he did. Damn you, Sean Shelby! You're in a really cool <laughs> moment. We could have had right here. Uh, all right. Uh, hopefully, next week I'm going to talk to Jim Miller a little bit. Hopefully, he'll uh, he'll have some similar interest in this. And then by next week, maybe we'll be talking about the UFC 300 fight uh, for Matt Brown and Jim Miller. But uh, Matt, where can people check out anything else they want to do to support you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, at I am the immortal. Also check out my sponsors, Redwood Saunas, Redwood Outdoor CO, um, and try create creatine gummies, which everybody should be taking creatine, including you, Damon. And all you gotta do is eat these gummies. It tastes way better than any powder and you can travel with them, all that good stuff. And that is at try underscore create. And also check out the immortal coffee at theimmortalcoffee.com. Love it. All right, folks, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with the uh, fallout from UFC 297. Make sure you check us on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll see you guys back next week for another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. See you then.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 